Let's pray. Uh, Grant, we ask you, merciful Lord, to your faithful people, pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, we ask that you would illuminate this word that we've heard by the power of your Holy Spirit, giving us ears to hear, and all those with eager and hungry hearts said, Amen. 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 I want to begin with a hunch that I've been reflecting upon recently, and it's this. My hunch is that often we overcomplicate Christianity. We overcomplicate Christianity. Uh, we have long debates about doctrine. We come up with all sorts of lists of rules. And hear me, hear me carefully. I'm not suggesting that doctrine doesn't matter. It matters what we believe. And it's likewise right to walk in obedience to God. Uh, but here's the thing. We've got more information at our fingertips than any other generation in history. Uh, we can listen to podcasts, download ebooks, watch sermons and lectures from the other side of the planet. Each of these are good things, but I wonder whether this information overload can contribute to an overly complex Christianity. And when we overly complexify Christianity, perhaps we lose what is actually at the center of Christianity. What is at the center of Christianity? What is the essence of Christianity? Well, Christianity is about, drumroll, Christ. Thanks, Tom. Christ is central to the Christian faith. Now, you might be thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, that, that's fairly obvious by the, the word Christianity. It begins with Christ. But I hope and trust that right now, uh, and actually every week when we gather together as the people of God, that we will be refreshed by remembering the simplicity and remembering the essence of what Christianity is all about. Uh, the key verse for our message today is not one that Zach read out. We'll start with this verse and then we'll jump to chapter 3. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, uh, you can follow along with a lot of the Bible verses inside uh, those Google slides. Uh, there's also some images later on. Uh, it's on side on this week, so feel free to flip your phone on the side uh, so you can uh, look at them in landscape mode. Uh, but the key verse for today is Philippians 1.21. And Philippians 1.21 says, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Quick show of hands, who's familiar with this verse? Majority of people put their hand up. It is an incredible verse and it really does get to the, the heart of life, of death, and of Christianity. And I think this verse is packed with a message for us all, whether you have been around Jesus and the church and Christianity your whole life, uh, or whether you've only recently been investigating the things of Jesus. This verse gets to the heart of what it really means to follow after Christ. Now, I've read this verse, Philippians 1.21, many times. I've memorized it. I've reflected upon it. I've preached on it a whole bunch of times. But if I'm honest, I think it's only in recent months, I've begun to grasp something of the depths of this verse. How? Through spending time with persecuted Christians. Uh, Open Doors, the organization I work with, uh, exists to serve persecuted Christians. And we do that by helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Uh, as most of you would know, I've recently returned from a trip to Egypt with the team from Open Doors, and it was a life-changing experience. And I think being in Egypt actually opened my eyes to some of the ways that I have complicated Christianity. 
some of the ways that I've perhaps even missed the simplicity of faith in Jesus. You know, as we visited various Christians on the ground, there were times when we would ask questions about how they go about their discipleship. How do you keep following Jesus? And we were regularly met with kind of simple answer. It was, we just keep following Jesus. We had one uh, significant, uh, one believer who has a significant ministry in Egypt, and he said this, I think some Christians in the West make discipleship so complex that they don't have to do it. We, we, we make things so complex that it, it's almost too hard to be a disciple. And yet, I think one of the things, and Open Doors regularly would say this, is that we believe that the persecuted church can actually be a significant spiritual mentor in our Christian faith. That as we see them putting their trust in Jesus, that ought to encourage us to keep our trust in Jesus. You know, Scripture clearly says that persecution is a normal expectation for followers of Jesus. Throughout church history, uh, we see the way that people have been persecuted, the way that people have lost their lives simply because of their faith in Christ. And yet it's not just some historical reality from previous ages. Right now, roughly one in seven Christians, that's about 360 million of our brothers and sisters, uh, are persecuted. Uh, live under the constant threat of losing their life simply because they follow Jesus. Uh, now, I want to share some of the stories and some of the people that I met uh, today. But before I do that, I want to make sure we ground what we're going to say and some of the stories that I share and some of the observations, make sure we ground them in God's Word. And so our key verse, as you see there, Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The essence of Christianity is Christ. And what Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 introduces to us, I think in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to this church, I think he fleshes out the idea. Uh, and so if we don't quite know what to live is Christ and to die is gain means from the one verse, he fleshes it out beautifully in one of the uh, most stunning sections, I think, in all of Scripture. And so if you've got a Bible, keep it out and open, or you can follow along in uh, the slide deck as well. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and it begins like this. It says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, says Paul, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You know, what Paul does here is he has two columns. He has a profit column and he has a loss column. And did you notice the things that he puts in the loss column? His family upbringing, his religious deeds, his tribal identity, his education, even his zeal, he counts all of those things as loss. And in the prophet column, he's got one thing, Christ. 
Everything else is lost compared to Christ. He even says that. Look in verse 8. Uh, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. He counts everything as loss because of Christ. And what he unpacks in the, the coming verses is he'll talk about knowing Christ. He'll talk about gaining Christ. He'll talk about trusting Christ. Pick it up as verse 8 continues. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, the most valuable thing in the world is knowing Christ. Not just knowing about Christ, but having a relationship with Christ, knowing him intimately. And when you know that Christ is of infinite value, it'll enable you to count everything else as loss. You know, more than that, verse 8 continues, he says, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul says losing everything is okay when you gain Christ. We are to consider everything else. And notice, it's not just the bad things in our lives. It's not just put the sinful and wicked things in the loss column, but also the good things and the right things, the things that aren't sinful, though they, even they, are rubbish, Paul says. Now, the idea behind the word rubbish there is, is actually a more offensive word than just some rubbish. It's kind of the idea of dung, poo, crap. It's, it's, you're supposed to read it and go, well, hang on. He's saying these things that aren't in and of themselves wrong, they're, they're, they're almost an offensive word. These are trash. These are rubbish. These are a, 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 a pile of poo. That was for you, Tom. That was for you. A pile, a pile of poo, a pile of dung compared to what? Gaining Christ. You know, pursuing a simple faith is not just about removing all the complex and distracting things in this life, but more so it's about gaining Christ, having Christ in that position of ultimate authority, ultimate worth. And it's an unbeatable trade. Our religiosity, our possessions, even our wins, even our families are rubbish compared to possessing the greatest treasure in the whole wide world, and that is knowing Christ, gaining Him. The more than that, verse 9 goes on and says, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, it's worth just stopping in this sentence for a moment and reflecting on what it's saying and what it's not saying. Uh, one of the things we know clearly from all of Scripture, and we often even sing about this fact as well, is that God is righteous. He is holy. He is good. And in order to stand in the presence of a holy, righteous and good God, we also need to be holy, righteous and good. Now, there's two ways to be righteous. Number one is you can be righteous through your obedience to the law. How's that going for you? <laughs> the, the reality is it's impossible to attain righteousness through our obedience to the law. 
And so thanks be to God, there's a second way to be righteous, and that is, number two, we receive righteousness as a gift. By trusting, by having faith in Him. The word there, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. You see, the reason we can stand righteous before God, before His throne, in His presence, is not because of anything we do and trying to keep laws, but because of Christ. He kept the laws on our behalf. He lived a perfect, righteous life in our place. And more than that, having fulfilled the law, having been obedient to the law, He then dies a sacrificial death on the cross in our place and for our sin. You know, if we had some more time, we could, we could unpack it, but we, we won't. But just, I want you to reflect upon Philippians chapter 2. If you, if you know it, if you don't know it, read it later on. In Philippians chapter 2, we read that Jesus, who is in very nature God, becomes a man. He puts on flesh. He chooses to serve. He chooses humility. He chooses obedience, obedience even to death upon the cross. You know, Paul's already unpacked the death of Christ in our place and for our sins. It is only through trusting, through faith in Christ and what he has done that we stand as righteous in the presence of a righteous God. Is that good news? Amen? Good, three of us. Amen. That's great. But, but wait, there's more. If that's not enough, the paragraph finishes. Look at verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How good is that? Death could not hold Jesus down. The hope uh, that is now ours through Jesus, through knowing Christ, is that, well, yeah, we share in his sufferings, and we share in his resurrection. Just as Jesus' tomb is empty, our tombs will be empty. Which means regardless of what we face in this life, get this, the future is always bright for those who are knowing, gaining and trusting in Christ. One of the things I was looking forward to uh, about our recent trip to Egypt was the opportunity to lean in a little bit closer to some of the stories of persecution that I've already read about, I've already learnt about, and some of you have even heard me share stories about uh, in the past. Uh, I still remember it was our second full day in Egypt after taking a, a million hours to get there. Uh, and after a morning out in the desert in silence visiting a third century monastery, uh, we went back to the hustle and the bustle of downtown Cairo. Uh, we arrived through the heavy, heavily, heavy security at the El Botrasia Church uh, with the scorching mid-afternoon sun on our backs and the constant honking of horns around the perimeter uh, of the church compound. And yet I didn't realise just how close we were about to get to some of these stories that I was already familiar with. In a matter of seconds, we were retracing the steps of a suicide bomber. Step one, the entry. You can see a picture of it on the slide deck there. Immediately, we were shown exactly where the suicide bomber had walked in off the street at 10 a.m. on Sunday, the 11th of December, 2016. Step two, the wrong door. 
Those familiar with Egyptian church culture would know that the men sit on the left and the women sit on the right of the church. This newcomer to the church was a male and he started walking towards the door on the right. Step three, the intervention. There's one man, his name was Nabil, and he noticed the man walking towards the wrong door and so he instantly ran after him wrapped his arms around the terrorist and just after he'd entered the women's door at that moment the bomb was detonated step four was the impact as a result of the explosion 28 women and girls were killed as well as nabil uh, it would have been many many more but for the heroic intervention of this observant brother in christ step five is the blood Outside the church, uh, they've put glass uh, over some of the blood that was splattered on the walls about 40 metres away from where the bomb actually blew up to remember those whose blood was shed. Step six was the shrapnel. You can see a photo of this one there as well. The shrapnel marks that remain on the internal pillars of that church also made an indelible impression on me. Step seven is the black tile. Placed on the ground as part of the post-bombing refurbishment, this was where the suicide bomber ended the lives of these ordinary followers of Jesus, gathering for Sunday worship, as we are gathering for Sunday worship. We stood in that place and we remembered those martyrs. Step eight is the twin. On the day of our visit, uh, just, just two meters from the black tile, we had the privilege of meeting Ashrav. Ashrav is the twin brother of Nabil. Step nine is the peace of God. Listen to these stunning words from Ashrav as he reflected on that dreadful day. He said this, the sight of the blood and the bodies in the aftermath of the explosion was unbearable. But knowing that Nabil is now crowned in heaven gives me strength. God has supernaturally filled me with condolence, comfort and peace. Step 10, the resolve. We asked Ashrav, are people still worried and fearful of coming to church? His response was, well, every day that we have a liturgy, every day the church is full. In Brisbane, if there's a little bit of rain on a Sunday, now we're not talking about some of the flood type of rains that come, many churchgoers avoid gathering that day. And yet you look at the, the lessons from our persecuted brothers and sisters, rather than shrinking back in fear, Persecution brings greater resolve. And this, there's, there's many bombings. There's many house, uh, churches that have been set on fire. There's many martyrs in Egypt. And yet each of the churches that are targeted, rather than shrinking back, they gather all the more. These Christ followers don't give up, but continue meeting together. Adversity draws their community together all the more. 
You know, the book of Philippians was actually a book written in the context of persecution. Paul's even in prison as he writes the book of Philippians. And and even earlier on in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, uh, Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It was interesting visiting El Botrasia Church, the believers in that place, ordinary Christians, I think, are continuing to speak the word of God without fear. What a beautiful example of people, ordinary people, knowing, gaining and trusting in Christ. Step 11, the final step, is the irrigation. On the desert highway that morning, before we'd even had the opportunity to visit El Botrasia Church, our tour guide, he said these powerful words. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the irrigation of the church. What does that mean? Well, as persecution increases, the Egyptian church continues to meet, continues to disciple, continues to evangelize and continues to grow. And blood is the fuel that brings that growth. You know, after we visited uh, that bomb site, we went to a bigger church next door, St. Mark's Coptic Cathedral. Uh, we learnt all about St. Mark, the evangelist, the one that wrote the gospel according to Mark. He's the one that took the gospel to Egypt in the first place. He was also martyred as a result of being a follower of Jesus. And after learning those things, we made our way through a, a maze of stairs up at a rickety old lift and into a back room of the cathedral. Uh, now, there's some pretty big tourist attractions in Egypt, like really big ones. You may have heard of them. You may have seen some of the pyramids. They're, they're huge. There's some remarkable places to visit in Egypt. We were not going to stop number one on the tourist trail. You would not know that this thing was there unless someone showed you. And what were we shown? We were shown a confronting and solemn experience when we visited the Martyrs Hall. This was actually the moment I was waiting for since I'd learnt about our travel itinerary. Uh, Now rewind uh, back to a story that I heard about back in 2015. Uh, You might have heard this one, this made uh, the news, Uh, you may have even heard me share it before. But 21 foreign workers, there was 20 men from Uh, Egypt and one man from Ghana, they were working in Libya, which is also in North Africa, the country next to Egypt. Uh, Some uh, extremists uh, kidnapped these men. Why? Because they identified as followers of Christ. And these 21 men were forced into a camp for three weeks and each day they were urged to deny Christ. They were urged to turn away from their faith. And as the three weeks went on, the pressure grew more intense. And yet all 21 of these men stood firm in Christ, refusing to deny their allegiance to their Lord and Saviour. Here are some courageous men who knew that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so consequently, in January 2015, they were marched out onto a Libyan beach in orange overalls and executed at the hands of those extremists. And you may remember that act of brutality was filmed and then broadcast around the world. I still remember when I first heard that story and I remember the the horror of learning about that story, but also 
uh, being immediately inspired by the reflexive words of love and grace and gospel confidence from the pastor of 17 of those men who lost their life on that beach. Here's what the pastor said. He said, from the Egyptian church to ISIS, we love you and have pity on you and pray that God may open your eyes so that you can see the true light in Jesus Christ. We're not intimidated by your threats. Death is a vanquished enemy for us, vanquished by the power of the Christ in his resurrection from the dead. We are not armed and we're not militant, but our prayers are stronger than all your weapons. It's 24 hours after learning of the brutal, brutal execution of 17 of his church members. We love you and we have pity on you. You know, how quick do we make people enemies? Some of you even driving here today, someone cut you off and you were riling inside. Sorry, let me not say you. I had that experience driving here today. We can so easily turn the other into an enemy. And yet here's a situation where if you want to imagine an enemy type of moment, having 17 of the young men from your church cut down in their prime. And yet the reflex is one of grace. The reflex is one of love. This is a church and this is a community that believe in the resurrection of the dead. They know that death is not the end for those who belong to Jesus. And so it was, so, it was a solemn moment to, to, to hear that story again told by our tour guide as he retold the martyrdom of these 21 faithful men. And as we heard again of the otherworldly response of their Christian community in the face of adversity. Now, before we visited the Martyrs Hall, uh, my expectation was this. I thought we were going to see 21 monuments for the 21 courageous men who were martyred on that Libyan beach. The reality, there was so much more to see and experience. Yes, we saw the monuments of these 21 men, uh, but unsurprisingly, we also saw a a further 29 monuments uh, for those who were killed in the bomb blast next door a year later. But more than that, There were multiple rooms with hundreds of monuments. Hundreds of ordinary people like you and I. With portraits on the wall, a quote about their life and a box of keepsakes below. It was haunting to walk past monument after monument. And yet the image that remained most vividly etched in my memory that day I think I've thought about it every single day since, was discovering a whole line of empty monument boxes. I'm like, why are they empty? And immediately, it's obvious why there's some empty ones, because they know more blood is to be shed. These boxes will be filled. You know, the expectation for followers of Jesus in Australia is that hopefully following Jesus won't interrupt my schedule or bring about too much discomfort. The expectation for followers of Jesus in Egypt is that one day your picture and plaque may may be displayed above one of those boxes. What a challenge to live in light of that reality. And what an opportunity to know and to believe the certain victory that is ours in Christ. To know and believe, Philippians 3, 10 and 11, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, yeah, 
but becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a stunning example of ordinary men, women and even children who demonstrate to us what it means to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, as we conclude, uh, I guess an obvious question is, what does this mean for us? My guess is we may not and probably won't lose our lives because of a suicide bomber or, or some other violent end because we're followers of Jesus. And yet the call is the same. We need to nonetheless give our lives up to Christ and for Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And so the persecuted church in Egypt and elsewhere around the world can teach us to live for Christ, can teach us to die for Christ, and to know that even a premature death and departure from this life is gain. Gain because we get more of Christ. Gain because we will see his face. Gain because it is worth giving up everything for the sake of the one who gave up everything for us. You know, the persecuted church around the world can teach us to hold fast to Christ amid the threat of, of martyrdom, knowing that death is not the end for those who trust in him. Jesus is victorious over the grave and our tombs will be empty on the last day. On the um, second last day of our time in Egypt, we visited the Hanging Church. It's a church from the third century. That's wild. And there's a remarkable history as you walk around these churches. Uh, but we also noticed some more boxes. You can see a photograph of those boxes in the slide deck. And they were filled with relics, the bones of martyrs from the first few centuries when Christianity first spread to Egypt. More ordinary people who were killed because of their faith in Christ. You know, visiting this church was, a, was like a bookend to our time in Egypt. At the beginning of the trip, we walked around among monuments of those who'd recently given up their lives for Christ. And at the end of the trip, we walked among monuments for those who'd given up their lives for Christ a long time ago. And yet, if you look closely at those boxes, it, personally, it was a little bit confronting because uh, there were people, uh, worshippers of Jesus in that church, walking up to the boxes and kind of touching the boxes and praying in front of the boxes. And let me be honest, that's not a normal part of Protestant Christianity here in Australia. And yet our tour guide demystified the things that were actually going on. And, and he just said, no, they're not praying to the relics but they've been inspired by their stories. And he said these beautiful words that I immediately wrote down after he said them. He said, these monuments are an assembly of Christ lovers. We're here to simply learn from them. As we walk past their relics, we remember their faith and pray that we too will be courageous. Christianity in this nation really is built on the blood of the martyrs. What a beautiful phrase an assembly of Christ lovers that we learn from, that we're inspired by, that we pray, Lord, make us courageous. Help us to keep trusting Jesus no matter the cost. Brothers and sisters, I hope that uh, this evening's been an opportunity for you to be encouraged to learn from the persecuted church, those in history long past and those even in our time. And in a, a time where sometimes we can make our faith complex, let's learn from their example 
and embrace a simple faith. Christianity is Christ. Let's learn from the assembly of Christ lovers how to know Christ, how to gain Christ, and how to trust Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, uh, let me encourage you uh, to take hold of all that he is and all that he has done for you. Uh, it is worth giving up your life for the sake of Christ, knowing that he has already given up his life for you, knowing that death is not the end for those who trust in Jesus. But for those of us who are already trusting in Jesus, uh, three things that I guess you could do off the back of the things that you've heard today uh, are, are these, uh, is to learn, is to pray, and is to give. 